From the Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana, this is Getting Ethics to Work, the podcast that tackles the trickier moral dilemmas that you might face in the workplace. I'm Andy Cullison. And I'm Kate Barry. For each episode of Getting Ethics to Work, we discuss a case or issue and unpack the difficult and often hidden ethical tensions that can make it hard to get along with others at work. And by the way, case is just an ethicist word for story. Now, before we get started, I want to remind everyone that we are not lawyers and are not offering legal expertise. But as an ethicist, I can help you identify when you're in a bostage situation. And if you'd like what you've been hearing and want to help us out, the best thing you can do is recommend the show to a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I hope you'll consider doing that. So, Andy, the inspiration for today's show comes from kind of an unlikely place. Yeah, my family has been watching this show called Diary of a Future President on Disney+. And the, the main character is this young girl. You know that eventually she's going to become president of the United States one day. But she's keeping a diary and it's just about her childhood. But the, the show actually grapples with a lot of different interesting ethical issues. I think that's why I like it so much. And there's this one episode in particular where the, uh, the girl's mom, whose name is Gabby, is talking with her boyfriend, whose name is Sam. And she's complaining about the way her boss is treating her. And uh, I thought we should just track down the transcript. And why don't we just read it out? Do you want to play the part of Gabby and I play the part of Sam? Okay, sounds good. All right. So never done this before. Let's get to work. So then Joy calls to talk about the case, but kept going on and on about her hair, her mom, her mom's hair. I like Joy. I do. But she's taking up an awful lot of my time with things that aren't, well, work. Hmm. I see what's going on here. Joy's holding you bostage. Bostage? Yes, when a boss makes you hang out with them. And they're your boss, so you feel like you can't say no. I coined it at my last firm. There were a lot of active bostage situations. Racquetball, mostly. I guess there is some bostaging going on, but it's manageable. For now, but if you don't set boundaries, it can become a problem. Take it from me. I ended up playing a nine-day racquetball tournament in North Dakota with my boss, Harold. I miss my cousin's wedding. So that's the scenario. That's the case today. (laughs) So let's do a breakdown. What does bostaging seem to actually be? It sounds to me like what it is, is it's a kind of situation where there seems to be a kind of duress or a lack of autonomy. I mean, if you take the metaphor of a hostage, right, you're being held in place in a certain way and and not being allowed to go. In this case, what you're not being allowed to go from is whatever the situation is where the boss seems to be expecting from you something other than work. They they are expecting from you the benefits of friendship, and it almost always is going to involve your time, right? They, they keep you on the phone because they want to talk to you about things that friends talk about, or they make you go play golf or racquetball with them like Sam's boss did at the previous firm. I think that's a, a good characterization of what a bostage situation is. Okay, I see. So the hidden moral dilemma here, rather than just being etiquette that Gabby doesn't want to say no because it's rude, is that she's starting to realize that there's something not okay with this behavior, but her boss, Joy, doesn't seem to notice that. There's a moral disagreement here that's not being explicitly stated, which is Gabby thinks this behavior is definitely not okay, or she's at least starting to realize that, and the boss sees absolutely nothing wrong with it. 
one of our first episodes was a show called Friendships at Work. And in that episode, we decided that there were a lot of benefits from being friends with your coworkers, but that it would be important to watch that those friendships don't pull you to make an unethical choice, such as covering for your friend that might be doing something illegal. And we said that a truly good friend would be mindful of this and not ask you to do something that would compromise your integrity. It doesn't sound like Joy's doing that. So why is this friendship, this Bostage friendship, not okay, but the other friendships that we talked about in that show, they were all right? That's a really good question. This is one of the pitfalls that arise for someone who's in a position of formal authority over someone else, is that things that are okay between people who are not in a boss direct report relationship might be okay, but things that if if one of those persons is the boss, suddenly there are things that you need to be thinking about that, oh, maybe this is not okay. Now, there are some examples that are obvious that we've, we've already decided are like this, like take romantic relationships. You might think uh, romantic relationships among equals in an organization might be okay, but not okay if one of them is a boss and the other one is a direct report. Sure. The, that difference in relationship uh, can can change the nature of an obligation. And these kinds of automatically assumed friendship expectations might be one of those things because the person is basically under duress. They, they can't say no uh, to the, the friendship relationship that you're trying to, to foist on them. Why do you think this is such a pitfall for bosses? How is it possible that bosses could end up holding people bostage and not realize that it's a problem? I think bosses are vulnerable to a kind of potential bias where they are much more likely to judge that they're in a friendship relationship with someone when in fact they're not for for two reasons one the way in which you co- you just come to sort of discover that you're in a friendship relationship unless you're like me and Jeff Drogi from 3rd grade where we actually leaned over the trash can of toys that we were supposed to bring out to recess and said, hey, we're best friends, right? Yeah, yeah, we are. Yes, we're best friends. Like, you don't you do not do that as adults, at least. You know, you just, you come to realize via a set of clues and behaviors that you and someone are really good friends, right? Yes. So there's never like an explicitly stated thing. You just figure it out from the way you're interacting. But think about the ways that direct reports are going to f- naturally feel pressure to act toward their boss. They're always going to try and smile. They're always going to try and say yes. They're always going to help out, right? They're way more likely to exhibit behaviors that are indicative of someone who is a good friend, but they're not necessarily doing it because they're a good friend. They're doing it because you're their boss and they have to, and they think if they're not cooperative, you'll fire them, right? So it's it's much more likely that people are friendly in the way that you would see friends, but that's not what's really going on. And if you're a boss and not thinking about that, it would be easy to think you're in a friendship when you're not. And here's the other thing I think that's worth noting. If you look at the data on statistics regarding uh, men and close friendships, men are less likely to have a lot of close friends. If you are someone who doesn't necessarily have a lot of friends, you know, you're going to be very tempting to turn to the people you work with for those kinds of relationships. So if you don't have a lot of friends, you're getting signals from the people you work with that, hey, where are your friend? 
I think you'd be even more vulnerable to find yourself in a situation where you could be holding someone bostage and not realize it. Well, now you've got me feeling bad for the boss. You have people who think everyone is being friendly to them because they like them, but it's actually because they work for them. And you have these men who have a hard time finding friendships outside of work. Why is this so wrong if you just have a bunch of lonely bosses who need friends? So one reason to think that there's something problematic about this is, well, we've already said it. It, it, It's a kind of case of duress, right? Where you are in a position of power over someone else, and they might not feel comfortable saying no to the implicit signals you're sending that I'd like this to be a friendship. And I want to share with you things that I would share with friends and lean on you for support that I would lean on friends for. So that, I mean, that's one big one. But there's also, I think, other kinds of things that we can point to. One is that there might be a kind of lack of reciprocity. Usually we think that real good, meaningful friendships, it's kind of a two-way street, right? Where they're leaning on you for support for certain things, but you better be there for them as well. If you're if you're always showing up to help someone and they're not showing up to help you, that's not a real genuine friendship. And in a boss direct report situation, you're leaning on them when it's convenient for you. You have them there in the office. You can walk into their office, you know, and demand their time, so to speak. But you might often be in cases where you can't really genuinely reciprocate. For a few reasons. One, you might not necessarily have as much time. Since you've spent time in the workday venting, if they were going to do this with you, they might not have time in the workday. So if you were going to reciprocate, they'd have to be able to maybe call you like while you're not in work hours. And and that's kind of odd. Another thing that's not reciprocal is it's very easy for a boss to exhibit the kind of vulnerability and talk about what's going on with their family. But someone who reports to you might not be comfortable talking with their boss about those things. So you can benefit from the support that they might provide in listening, but they might not feel comfortable talking with you about it. So a lack of reciprocity is kind of built into what's comfortable for each side to even share. Yeah. I can imagine that a direct report wouldn't necessarily want to tell a boss about a new illness or that they have like um, an elderly parent moving in, things that they might need to adjust their work hours for or things that have to do with their health insurance, that that seems like information that might eventually be used against them. And so even though those are incredibly stressful things, those are things they're going to share with their boss because it might have effects on their work or benefits. Exactly. And another thing about this is you... You suck up their friend time, right? They could be spending that quote unquote friend time uh, with with someone else, right? You know, we only have time for so many people in our lives and you're leaning them on them as a friend, but they could be in another relationship with someone whom could actually reciprocate and provide the kind of support that friends provide. Well, you're also sucking up their work time. You mentioned earlier that you might come into their office And your time is more valuable. You're the boss. So you might not necessarily want to hear about their problems on your time. But because you are the boss, they do have to listen to your problems during their work time. And it feels like it's actual work and maybe pushing the things that they really need to do for you. And it feels like important for your relationship, but it's definitely not going to show up on like an eval. Exactly. Right. You know, if if you're in an industry where those kinds of like 
hitting certain performance goals matters. I can imagine this person six months from now, the boss is in there like, hey, what's up with your sales figures? And that person in their head is thinking, well, I could have had better sales figures if I didn't have to talk to you two hours every day about why you're having problems talking to your mother about difficult issues or whatever, whatever it is you're bringing, right? Right. I can think of another reason. There are tensions with respect to duties of friendship that might be relevant here. So if you're friends with someone, some people think that you can appeal to the fact that they are your friend as the only reason you're giving them a benefit that you're not giving to someone else. So if my friend and I are in a larger group, like at a party or a dinner party or something, and uh, the bartender accidentally opens up two beers or something and says, well, they're already open, just take the extra one. And I'm like, great, thanks. And then I give it to my friend. You know, someone else at the party, if they were to say, whoa, 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 what about me? I'd, I'd like a free beer. I'm like, yeah, but this... This is one of my best friends, so I I, cho- I chose him, right? Like we don't we don't fault people for you know doling out minor benefits to their best friends in lieu of other people in in the spaces that they're in, right? Right. Saying this person is my best friend in social situations is actually an okay. Like that's a good justification. This person's my best friend. Of course, I'm going to do this. But now think about that in workplace settings, right? If a boss is quote unquote friends with someone doling out benefits to that person that doesn't and and saying well it's they're my friend right like imagine a boss said well why did you let him do that thing he's like well he's my he's my friend so i let him do it right like that just that just can't be an okay practice right so even if a direct report were to get potential benefits those benefits are not good for a workplace that the favoritism that a boss might be able to give a direct report in exchange for the friendship is an unethical benefit that's right So those are a number of reasons to think that there's something troubling or something to be concerned about when it comes to friendships between bosses and direct reports. And and bosses could find themselves in these problematic situations and, and not even realize it. Now, all that said, while I think there are reasons to be concerned about friendships between bosses and people who work for bosses, there do seem to be cases to me where it's clear to me that there are friendships in play or or likely to play, or at least I'm imagining they are, and I'm totally okay with it. Like what? Like take former President Obama and current President Joe Biden, right? I mean, there's all these memes about like Buddy Barack and Buddy Joe, right? I, I don't know if they're really like best friends or not, but if you told me they were best friends, I'd be like, that's totally fine. And if you told me they were best friends, even while Obama was in office, right? I'd be like, yeah, fine, whatever. Uh, that, that, that would not bother me. One of the things that I feel like is often given as a reason for not being friends with your boss is that they may not feel like they can criticize your work. And I wonder if if you're both high enough up, that becomes a little bit less of a fear that there's almost more of a peer relationship. And so that if you are like in command and second in command, that you become a little bit more comfortable giving feedback. There might be a technical hierarchy, so to speak, but the two might not regard the relationship as hierarchical as it looks on paper. And so in those situations, I imagine, like you said, 
I bet Obama is very comfortable telling Joe like, hey, I didn't like that thing and not like feel like he has to hold back because he doesn't want to hurt Joe's feelings. But, but I imagine it goes both ways, right? I bet you Joe Biden would be really comfortable saying, hey, Barry, I, I just imagine that he calls him Barry. Hey, Barry, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just I don't I don't think that's the right course of action or, hey, that thing you said over there, you shouldn't have said that. If the kind of open, honest feedback that you would expect friends to be able to give each other and not worry about hurting feelings is clearly present then then yeah that that strikes me as though it could be an important difference and that incidentally is also a good way to test whether or not if you're a boss is that reciprocal two-way feedback mechanism in play and if you've never been criticized by the person whom you think you are friends with you you might be in a Boston situation, right? Totally. And if you're the boss and you're afraid to to say something critical because you don't want to ruin the friendship, maybe you're not in a Boston situation, but you might be in a problematic friendship situation. Okay. So how does our boss, Joy, in this instance, avoid either holding anybody hostage or the more problematic friendships, either showing favoritism or not giving criticism and really not helping that person develop by not telling them what they need to know about their work. I think one thing is to maybe consider ditching the quote unquote friendship relationship that you're seeking out and be more intentional about a a kind of mentorship relationships, which are are kind of one way friendships in in a sense where you're providing a lot of support to someone else, right? You're you're hearing them out about their problems and you're offering them advice and you, you, you're guiding them and coaching them through the politics of the organization, right? You're doing a lot of things that like are, are friendly in nature, but it's very important. I think a, a good mentor should expect nothing in return, right? You shouldn't, you shouldn't expect people to give you things. You shouldn't expect that kind of support and it's a way to kind of have a personal connection with someone without, I think, getting into messy territory. Uh, so that, that I think that might be one option. Yeah. So if you somehow think helping each other with problems is an important part of team building, because I, you know, I could imagine someone saying, look, part of the part of the act of friendship, it's team building, right? Helping each other solve problems. That's just good team membership, right? And so if you're if you're of that attitude and you're a you're a boss, try to keep that venting to some extent work related. I'm not saying be a gossip or anything, but if instead of talking to people about problems you're having with you know your family or something like that, you talk about problems you're having with a client uh, who's not responsive to things or problems you're having with a relationship with someone who's kind of your equal at another division in another city or something like that, and sort of, you know, inviting them to help you solve a work problem, then you're not wasting their work time, right? They're actually helping you solve work-related problems. And the other thing is, to some extent, you're doing a little bit of good development work because you're giving them insight into the stresses of your job, which is really just a good development practice, I think. And then you might actually solve a work problem. And it seems like something like that you could do with maybe not a full group. That seems like a weird situation at work, but you wouldn't necessarily need to always vent to the same person. And so that might also 
balance out the sort of weight of work friendship rather than if you have one person, you're like, they're a really great listener and they get all my venting. That's definitely a bostage situation. But if you sort of go around and say like, oh, there's this client that I'm having a really hard time with or like, hey, our accounts seem to always have this problem and you sort of crowdsource that, that spreads out that labor. Yeah, that you're absolutely right. And you know what? It's also a good confidence booster as well, right? One of the best ways to flatter someone is to ask for their opinion. And if you're, if you're asking for their opinion about a work-related thing that you're supposed to be an expert on, then you're, you're signaling to that person, like, I trust you to help me think about a problem that I'm going through in my work. And that, that sends a really powerful message to the people you work with. And so I, th- I think it's a more fruitful way of doing things that are friendship-like without, you know, doing this thing that might be putting someone in a Boston situation. Yeah. I imagine some people are, are wondering like, gosh, so, so as a boss, am I, am I never allowed to ask people about what's going on with their family? Or am I never allowed to be authentic and, and really just sort of bring my true authentic self to work? And, you know, if you say I'm not supposed to go to employees with my problems I'm having with my family, you know, how, how does one do that? And to that, I say, well, th- there are ways to engage in the that kind of get to know each other, check in on how things are going in their personal life without holding people bostage. What you can do is just be intentional about things that would be bosted situations, right? Like coming to their office unannounced, unplanned, unscheduled, and then just dumping on them, right? That's that's more like bostage behavior. Uh, but if there are regularly scheduled check-ins where it's kind of understood that there's a little bit of banter at the start of, right? Like, you know, a lot of our one-on-ones at Prindle seem to sometimes be like this, where it's it's sort of understood the first few minutes, we're just kind of checking in. Hey, how's it going? What's going on? And and then there's there's this like small contained space where people can share a little bit about what's going on if they want to. But, uh, you know, it's it's not like you're constantly sucking up time at other parts. So if you're being careful and intentional about setting clear boundaries as to when these kinds of conversations happen and your employees are not just at your mercy to talk about your problems with your personal life whenever you want to. Right. That's that's the thing to avoid is, is make, making sure that that's not something that's happening. Right. I don't think we're asking for like a totally impersonal workspace. And it's important to see your employees as people and not automatons, but boundaries and and sort of structured time to talk about it. And probably also learning more about your employees than they learn about you seems more appropriate. Exactly. And another thing bosses could do is find other friends outside of work and make time for them. Bosses are probably more likely to take people bostage because they're not taking time to form relationships outside of work. And so in that craving for a friend or that craving for friendship, if you're not taking time outside of work to develop relationships with people, then it's going to be really tempting to just lean on the people that you work with as, as sort of your only as your only friends. If you're intentional about work-life balance and finding time outside of work to develop and forge friendships then, you know, save that venting uh, about your family for when you're going out having a beer with your friend, right? This brought me back to why I was feeling bad for our bosses at the top, 
that the work that it takes to become a boss may mean that you don't have the energy to develop a support system around you and that you have neglected yourself and that you may end up, although well-regarded and perhaps with power and agency in your organization, but maybe kind of alone. Yeah, I, I think that's a really, really good point. And that raises some other alternatives that I think people in positions of power really need to be intentional about uh, that will, A, just help you professionally, but also prevent you from being someone who unintentionally holds someone bostage. There is this idea about the, called the loneliness of power. There's a good article, Harvard Business Review article, called The Strange Relationship Between Power and, and Loneliness that I, I encourage you to check out. But it, it can be incredibly lonely when you're in positions of power and authority in a workplace. And, you know, I think leaders in that position need to be really intentional about finding structures that are healthy and supportive that don't involve you leaning on the people you work for you for that kind of support. One option is, I'm going to be honest, therapy. Sometimes there's this stigma around mental health that you only go to therapy when you're having a mental health issue. But really, there, there are therapists who specialize in executive coaching or, or you know work-life balance where really what it is, is just a talking session. So you can just kind of unload everything that's going on. And then they help you piece through how to start to try to make sense of this and how to try to move forward on the issues that you're having. Some therapists specialize in executive coaching. You could also just look to get an executive coach or a leadership coach somebody or a life coach, somebody who is just there for you reliably to be a sounding board on all those issues that, that you're trying to unpack. And then a third option would be you just need to find people who are in very similar roles to you, but maybe that don't work for your organization. I mean, this is what professional associations are for, right? If you're a sales director, there's probably a professional association for sales directors, right? If you're a CEO of a company, there's probably some kind of group, some secret society of CEOs who just get together and talk about how hard it is to be a CEO, right? There are lots of ways to find that support. There are lots of ways to combat that loneliness and work through those problems that, again, don't require you leaning on the people who work for you. Thanks so much for joining us as we try to get ethics to work. I'm Andy Cullison. And I'm Kate Berry. If you have a question about business ethics you'd like answered on the podcast, email me at katherineberry at tapa.edu, and maybe we'll talk through your issue on the air. We hope you are staying safe and healthy in this crisis. We also hope you can take some of what we discussed here and get it to work. If you want to learn more about what we talked about on the show today, check out our show notes page at prindleinstitute.org slash work. That's all one word, get ethics to work. Remember to subscribe to get new episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. But regardless of where you subscribe, please be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It is still the best place for us to meet new listeners. Getting Ethics to Work is hosted by the Janet Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePauw University in Greencastle, Indiana. Our logo was created by Smallbox. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions and can be found online at www.sessions.blue. Our show is made possible with the generous support of DePauw alumni, friends of the Prindle Institute, and you, the listeners. Thank you for your support. The views expressed here are the opinions of the individual speakers alone. They do not represent the position of DePaul University or the Prindle Institute for Ethics. Thank you.